Good evening, please turn with me to the book of Genesis and chapter 31. We're picking up where we left off last time in our series on the life of Jacob. Genesis and chapter 31. And we're going to read through the whole chapter this evening. A bit of a lengthy reading, but worthwhile. So let's begin in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 31. And he heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob hath taken away all that was our father's, and of that which was our father's hath he gotten all this glory. And Jacob beheld beheld the countenance of Laban, and behold, it was not toward him as before. And the Lord said unto Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers, and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. And Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field unto his flock. And he said unto them, I see your father's countenance, that it is not toward me as before, but the God of my father hath been with me. And ye know that with all my power I have served your father, and your father hath deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God suffered him not to hurt me. If he said, Thus the speckled shall be thy wages, then all the cattle bear speckled. And if he said, Thus the ringstraked shall be thy hire, then bear all the cattle ringstraked. Thus God hath taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me. And it came to pass at the time that the cattle conceived that I lifted up mine eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the cattle were ringstraked, speckled, and grizzled. And the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here am I. And he said, Lift up now thine eyes, and see all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ring-straked, speckled, and grizzled. For I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowedst a vow unto me. Now arise, get thee out from this land, and return unto the land of thy kindred. And Rachel and Leah answered and said unto him, Is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not counted of him strangers? For he hath sold us and hath quite devoured also our money. For all the riches which God hath taken from our father, that is ours and our children's. Now then, whatsoever God hath said unto thee, do. Then Jacob rose up and set his sons and wives upon camels, and he carried away all his cattle and all his goods which he had gotten, the cattle of his getting, which he had gotten in Padan Aram, to, for to go to Isaac his father in the land of Canaan. And Laban went to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the images that were her father's. And Jacob stole away unawares to Laban the Syrian, in that he told him not that he fled. So he fled with all that he had, and rose up, and passed over the river, and set his face toward the Mount Gilead. And it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob was fled, and he took his brethren with him and pursued after him seven days' journey, and they overtook him in Mount Gilead. And God came to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said unto him, Take heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. Then Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mount, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mount of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What hast thou done, that thou hast stolen away unawares to me, and carried away my daughters as captives taken with the sword? Wherefore didst thou flee away secretly, and steal away from me, and didst not tell me that I might have sent thee away with myrrh, and with songs, with tabret, and with harp? And hast not suffered me to kiss my sons and my daughters? Thou hast now done foolishly in so doing. It is in the power of my hand to do you hurt, But the God of your father spake unto me yesternight, saying, Take thou heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. And now, though thou wouldest needs be gone, because thou saw longest after thy father's house, yet wherefore hast thou stolen my gods? And Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid. For I said, Peradventure thou wouldst take by force thy daughters from me. With whomsoever thou findest thy gods, let him not live. Before our brethren discern thou what is thine with me, and take it to thee. But Jacob knew not that Rachel had stolen them. 
And Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into, into the two maidens' tents, maidservants' tents, sorry. But he found them not. Then went he out of Leah's tent and entered into Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the images and put them in the camel's furniture and sat upon them. And Laban searched all the tent but found them not. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise up before thee, for the custom of women is upon me. And he searched, but found not the images. And Jacob was wroth and chode with Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that thou hast so hotly pursued after me? Whereas thou hast searched all my stuff, what hast thou found of all thy household stuff? Set it here before my brethren and thy brethren, that they may judge betwixt us both. This twenty years have I been with thee, Thy ewes and thy she-goats have not cast their young, and the rams of thy flock have I not eaten. That which was torn of beast I brought not unto thee, I bear the loss of it. Of my hand didst thou require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was in the day the, the drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from mine eyes. Thus have I been twenty years in thy house, I served thee fourteen years for thy two daughters, and six years for thy cattle, and thou hast changed my wages ten times, except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely thou hast sent me away now empty. God hath seen mine affliction and the labour of my hands, and rebuked thee yesternight. And Laban answered and said unto Jacob, These daughters are my daughters. And these children are my children, and these cattle are my cattle, and all that thou seest is mine, and what can I do this day unto these my daughters, or unto their children which they have borne? Now therefore come thou, let us make a covenant, I and thou, and let it be for a witness between me and thee. And Jacob took a stone and set it up for a pillar. And Jacob said unto his brethren, Gather stones, and they took stones and made an heap, and they did eat there upon the heap, and Laban called it, Jagar Sahadath, sorry, Sahadatha, but Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said, This heap is a witness between me and this day, between me and thee this day, therefore was the name of it called Galid. And Mizpah, for he said, The Lord watch between me and thee when we are absent one from another. If thou shalt afflict my daughters, or if thou shalt take other wives beside my daughters, no man is with us. See, God is a witness betwixt me and thee. And Laban said to Jacob, Behold this heap, and behold this pillar which I have cast betwixt me and thee. This heap be witness, and this pillar be witness, that I will not pass over this heap to thee, and that thou shalt not pass over this heap and this pillar unto me for harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge betwixt us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered sacrifice upon the mount and called his brethren to eat bread. And they did eat bread and tarried all night in the mount. And early in the morning Laban rose up and kissed his sons and his daughters and blessed them. And Laban departed and returned unto his place. Let's open in prayer this evening. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage that is before us. Father, we pray that you would help us this evening to glean... Uh, some truths from this passage, Father, that we might be instructed in your will for our lives, we pray. Father, we pray that your hand would be upon the message this evening, that you would minister to the hearts of your people as, as is needed, Father, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. A lengthy passage there, but in this passage we have a, a very interesting account. And uh, as we've been looking uh, at the life of Jacob, the Bible very closely follows uh, Jacob as an individual and how God is dealing with him and here we see Laban is really brought uh, into, into view a bit more uh, strongly as there's sort of this uh, conflict going on between Jacob and Laban and so Laban uh, is sort of an example to us of someone who is foolishly living a selfish life and so the theme this evening is the foolishness of selfish living but the title of the message is Jacob Flees from Laban. When we left the account of Jacob last time, uh, we just looked at how God had been prospering Jacob. You remember the theme of the last message was uh, uh, prosperity in spite of opposition. 
there was a lot of opposition. Laban had tried to undermine uh, Jacob's due wages. Uh, in this text, he says ten times Laban changed his wages. And uh, Jacob now sees that Laban's countenance was not toward him as it was before. Laban used to see Jacob as someone whom he could exploit for his personal gain, but now he sees Jacob as a rival in the business who is getting the lion's share of the profits. So today we will see just how carnal and self-righteous Laban had become in his pursuit of worldly success, his focus on worldly success. And so we begin uh, picking up in verses 14 to 19 with Jacob's preparations for the journey the preparations for the journey where we left off last time Jacob had just spoken to his wives and explained the plan to them as a good family leader should he explained that God had commanded him to leave God had commanded him to leave and his wives respond in verse verse 14 there and Rachel and Leah answered and said unto him is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house Are we not counted of him strangers? For he hath sold us and hath quite devoured also our money for all the riches which God hath taken from our father, that is ours and our children's. Uh, Now then whatsoever God hath said unto thee, do. So they were on board with his plan to leave. They approved of the plan. Laban wasn't foolish in just saying, all right, everybody pack up, let's get out of here. Um, and just expecting everybody to tag along, he was, he was going to set some preparations. He knew what sort of a character Laban was. It's interesting that uh, Rachel and Leah note that uh, there, there is no portion or inheritance left for us in our father's house. And uh, Kyle and Delich note that the, the verb tenses there indicate that They're saying essentially that Laban was not only previously a wasteful man in his lifestyle, but continually lived a wasteful lifestyle. And by this, he had spent what would have been their inheritance, what would have been the inheritance of his children. So they could see that Jacob was not the one who had brought Laban to a place where he was tight financially, although God had taken Laban's cattle and given it to to Jacob in essence, Laban had also been foolish in his lifestyle, wasteful in his living. He'd already shown that he had no real concern for family ties. As they say, uh, our father has uh, sold us. We accounted to him as strangers. This man was concerned only about the money, Make money, spend money. In this hand, out that hand. No doubt they, Leah and Rachel had been observing their father for some time and had seen how God had taken what was Laban's and ultimately had given it to Jacob. They saw there was nothing to be gained by remaining and so they readily agreed to leave. And so Jacob begins to put his, his plan into action Verse 19 says, And Laban went to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the images that were her father's. This was a good time for Jacob to make his getaway. He likely picked this time because Laban would be out in the field. At, at the time of the shearing of the sheep, it was customary uh, to spend some days out shearing the sheep, but also there would be somewhat uh, of a a bit of a celebration or a feast that would go along with that. So Laban would be away for at least a few days, caught up with this business, and it is probable that Jacob, knowing this, had already sheared his sheep early on and got them ready, was probably moving them further and further away from uh, the home base there to get a head start in the journey. Jacob was keenly aware of how difficult it would be to even start out in following the will of God in this situation. He knew that if Laban got any idea of what was, what was up, if Laban figured out what was going on, 
there would be some opposition here that would come from that quarter. So he knew that there needed to be a bit of secrecy and we need to take some thought when we step out in faith and we're obeying the will of God in our lives that we don't unnecessarily draw the attention of those who will bring opposition against us. If you know that somebody is, is going to oppose your, your step out, your, your obedience to the will of God, don't go looking for, for trouble with that person, okay? Now, there, there will be enough opposition. Usually, if, if you're going to follow the will of God faithfully, there'll be plenty of opposition without going looking for it. Jacob knew that there would be some opposition here. So he kept it to himself. He put in a plan and he figured, why am I going to let Laban try and stop me from, from fulfilling the will of God in my life before I even get started on this path? No, I'll step out in faith and obey God, but I won't unnecessarily stir up trouble. Rachel, however, she saw this as a, a, an opportunity to steal her father's gods. These were just essentially just little figurines. At the time it was customary to have uh, these little figurines. It was a superstition that if you had these little gods and you prayed to them, then you would prosper. Now, Rachel should have seen pretty clearly that her father having these figurines had not prospered. And uh, Jacob, not having these figurines, was doing just fine. But for some reason, she thought it was a good idea to, to, to steal these and hide them in her camel pack. And Rachel is a bit like Christians today. They're happy to know the Lord. They might be happy to go along with uh, those, to go with the flow of those who are trying to serve the Lord. But they're not really living the, the separated life. She's an example to us also of how parents affect their children. Her father was a pagan man, an idolatrous man. He kept these idols just for superstition. They did nothing for him, but it was a superstitious thing. And for some reason she thought that these idols would help her on their journey. It's interesting that commentator John Butler writes, How foolish! to steal these idols, thinking they could somehow help her. How could anything help you that can be stolen by someone else? <laughs> it's so true. If you can steal that God from your father, then it's not a very powerful God, is it? It's not going to do much for you if it can't keep itself from being stolen. What possible good could it do? How effective could it be? if it can't even prevent itself from being stolen from you. But we serve a God who can never be taken from us, who can never be stolen away. We serve a powerful God who can intervene in the affairs of men, who hears us when we pray. Not just a superstition, not just a little figurine. We serve a mighty God who is above all that man can do to us. He overrules all things. Well, Jacob stole away unawares to Laban. In verse 20 it says, And Jacob stole away unawares to Laban the Syrian, in that he told him not that he fled. So he fled with all that he had. And he rose up and passed over the river Euphrates and set his face toward the Mount Gilead. Jacob's departure was carried out very quietly. You get the picture of a ship gliding down a dark river at night. Could very easily go unnoticed. That was Jacob's plan. Get out quick, get out quiet and get moving. So, he passes over the river Euphrates and heads for Mount Gilead, which is actually a mountainous region east of the Jordan River. And its northern edges are nearly 300 miles from Haran. A day's journey was usually reckoned at about 30 miles for men travelling unencumbered. However, once they began moving the flocks along, they would only be able to make uh, around about 15 to 20 miles a day. So once they started driving the cattle, they'd be slowed down and it would probably take them around about 10 days to reach 
the Mount Gilead region. Jacob knew that the journey he was embarking on was not going to be an easy one. When you're driving a large herd of cattle, it's going to take you some time. You're going to be very encumbered there, trying to move things along. You've got to pack up camp every morning to get moving. Get everybody moving. At night, somebody's got to look after all the cattle. You've got to set up the tents. All of that, it's going to be a slow process. He knew that this was going to be a difficult journey. It was a long journey at the end of which he was going to encounter something that he had run away from 20 years earlier. His brother Esau, who wanted to kill him 20 years before, he'd stepped out in faith. This is what God had told him to do. And we must remember that the the path of least resistance isn't the path that the mighty men and women of God of old trod. It's not the path that those who are serving God will tread. The path of least resistance is a well-trodden path by the world. A certain preacher once said, I, I loved this quote, even a dead log can float downstream but it takes effort to go against the flow of the world it's true if you watch a log floating downstream is it propelling itself anywhere no it's just being taken with the current that's not what we're called to as God's people when you step out in faith and you're following the will of God in your life you're going against the current It's going to be hard work. The journey ahead is not going to be easy. But God promises blessing. He will be with us. He will bless us. But we have to step out in faith. We're going to to have to go against the flow. We can't just be dead logs or floating downstream somewhere. Jacob was pursued though. He was pursued by Laban. Verse 22 says, And it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob was fled, and he took his brethren with him and pursued after him seven days' journey, and they overtook him in the Mount Gilead. It's interesting that Jacob had a good head start. It was three days before Laban even found out that Jacob was gone. Laban then would have needed to finish his shearing of the sheep, get things ready for the journey, you know, get the, 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 the party together to head out, and then he takes off. And within seven days, he's caught up with Jacob. So either Jacob was moving really slowly, or Laban was really cracking quite a pace there. I think we know what was going on there. Laban was not happy he was furious he had seven days journey to think about what he was doing what course he had just set in his life seven days to stop and think about how he was now pursuing his own brethren with evil intent but over that course of seven days he didn't stop he was determined he was going to catch up And it took the hand of God to intervene. Verse 24, And God came to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said unto him, Take heed that thou speak not to Jacob either good or bad. Then Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mount, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mount of Gilead. It must have been an interesting sight when Laban finally caught up with Jacob. Jacob probably saw where Laban was camping in the mountain, knew what was coming. The following morning, Laban enters and he immediately launches out with this spiel about how awful it was that Jacob had fled. It says, And Laban said to Jacob, What hast thou done? that thou hast stolen away unawares to me and carried away my daughters as captives, taken with the sword. Wherefore didst thou flee away secretly and steal away from me and didst not tell me that I might have sent thee away with myrrh and with songs 
with tabret and with harp. What a nice fellow. <laughs> and has not suffered me to kiss my sons and my daughters, which, let's remember, he had no care for before, but thou hast now done foolishly in so doing. Oh, self-righteous Laban. <laughs> yes. So, he finally caught up with Jacob. God warned him, had to warn him not to harm Jacob. And he's, he thinks, well, the only take I've got, I know that God has blessed Jacob. I know that God can inter- intervene in the affairs of men. He didn't deny the one true God, but he wasn't willing to follow the one true God. So, he thinks, well, I know that God can judge me, so I better watch my step. So he tries another tact. He figures, I'll play the blame game. All right, I'll make it somebody else's fault. Because now he's got to come up with an excuse for why he just spent seven days hotly pursuing after his own family. I mean, you don't do that if they just happen to leave without telling you. You don't think, oh, I'm going to chase them down. They left without saying anything. No, you'd wonder what what happened that caused them to to leave so hurriedly, but you don't come chasing after them seven days' journey with a posse behind you. You just don't. So now he's got to come up with this excuse why he was just about to unjustly attack his own son-in-law. So he's begun making excuses for himself. He accused Jacob of taking away his daughters as captives with the sword, which was exaggeration of the highest order. <laughs> there was no war going on here. And th- these were Jacob's wives, weren't they? He didn't take them away as captives with a sword. In fact, they had been co-conspirators in the departure. They were on board with this. So Laban's distorting the facts in an attempt to present Jacob as this this interloper who had raided and pillaged Laban's house. He blurted out a hypocritical speech about how he would have sent Jacob away with myrrh and, you know, a a, a nice little going-away party there, festivity of music and whatnot. No doubt, nobody in that camp believed Laban's story here. The men who came with Laban would have, (laughs) they would have known what was going on. They could see how furious Laban had been. Jacob would have no doubt, after his years of experience with Laban, thought, oh, here we go. Yeah, here we go. Let's play the blame game again. It's always my fault. All right. So Laban accused Jacob, next, of stealing his gods. Okay, so the the blame game here isn't working. What's the one thing I can seize on? The one reasonable explanation for this hot pursuit and he says uh, essentially uh, Kyle and Delich render the question in verse 30 there as even if your secretive departure can be reasonably explained the stealing of my gods cannot so that's his one I'm going to seize upon that even if your departure can be reasonably explained which it could be Okay, what's the one thing I can hold on to here to try and keep face? Laban's all about keeping face, making myself look good, or at least trying to make myself look good or look okay. This was a poor excuse, really a a very poor excuse for his pursuit of Jacob, but there was no other justifiable reason he could bring for why he had so hotly pursued against his own family. We see in verses 31 and 32 there that Jacob's a little bit sort of on the back foot here. And it says, uh, Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I said, Peradventure thou wouldest take by force thy daughters from me, with whomsoever thou findest thy gods, let him not live. Before our brethren discern thou what is thine with me, and take it to thee. For Jacob knew not that Rachel had stolen them. So he's a bit taken back. Hold on, whoa, whoa, whoa. I get that, that we, we took off pretty quick and we, wa- we wanted to get away without you knowing anything about it. But what's this accusation about stealing your gods? Search. Go on, have a look, mate. 
See if you can find them. He's a bit taken back there. But he had no idea that his wife Rachel had stolen them. And she was hiding them. And so Laban goes ahead and he searches the tents, thinking, I'll find these. And when I find them, then I'll have him. That's the one thing I've got against him right here, and I'll hold that to his face. Don't you worry. So he went and searched Jacob's tent and Leah's tents and the two maidservants' tents, but he found them not. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered into Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the images and put them in the camel's furniture and sat upon them. And Laban searched all the tent but found them not. The camel's furniture was uh, not a big wooden chair or something like that. Um, essentially, it, w- it would be made up of a lot of um, uh, essentially rugs that would be used just to cushion uh, a, a rough saddle. And so this would be taken off the camel and stored in the tent and it would tend to have saddle bags and whatnot along with it. And so she's hidden these gods under there and then she sat down upon it. And uh, she says, uh, Let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise up before thee for the custom of women is upon me and he searched but found not the images. So she says, Look, I can't get up, right? Not well. You'll have to move on. And uh, in this in this uh, society, it was customary to uh, leave the woman sitting. If that was uh, her claim that she was not well, you would just okay pass on because if you came too close, well, you might be counted unclean. You know, uh, you 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 can. It was just a, almost a superstition there that they had. And so Laban decides, all right, well, you can stay there. And he finishes his search and he comes out with nothing. Now, Rachel probably recognised that it was because of her decision that Laban had any cause to bring accusation against Jacob. And so she's thinking, I've got to cover this up. Because if Laban finds that, that Rachel's taken his gods, then he's going to have an accusation he can bring against Jacob. So she tries to cover it up. And oftentimes, we think that our actions won't have an effect on others around us. We don't realise that oftentimes our actions have a most undesirable effect on those around us. The choices you make can affect others. Whether good or bad, they often do affect others. And we have to be very careful that we make wise choices because if we make foolish choices, then we can become a stumbling block to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We become a a stumbling block to those around us and also, more importantly, we become a bad testimony for Christ. We take the name of our Saviour with us. If we're living foolishly, making foolish decisions then we are a bad testimony for our Saviour. Well, Laban didn't find anything. And now Jacob is angered by Laban. Verse 36, And Jacob was wroth and chode with Laban, and Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass and what is my sin that thou hast so hotly pursued after me? Whereas thou hast searched all my stuff, what hast thou found of all thy house, household stuff? Set it before my brethren and thy brethren that they may judge betwixt us both. Look, you had a look, you searched through everything. What did you find? Come on, show us all. He's quite angered. And then he goes through an account of how he faithfully served Laban for 20 years. If any of Laban's cattle were taken by a wolf or a fox, then Jacob himself bear the cost of that. And he was with the cattle by day and by night. His sleep departed from him. He says, I have done everything to protect what is yours and now you come and accuse me of stealing it. 
Why would I do that after 20 years of protecting everything that's yours, of staying up all night, my sleep departed from me, doing everything I could. If you lost any sheep or any cattle, I took the cost of that so it wouldn't fall on you. And now you come and accuse me of stealing your gods? Why would I do that? Clearly, it was a foolish accusation. Jacob was very direct about his innocence in regard to the idols. He was so sure that he was innocent. He was so sure that he'd just straight away told Laban, you, you search, you go and have a look. The indignation of Jacob. Very angered by an accusation against his, his character, how he had... He'd been so faithful serving Laban and yet Laban was the one who had always mistreated him, had always changed his wages. He says, you're the one who's changed my wages ten times. You're the one who's always tried to steal from me, to keep me from providing for my family and now you come and accuse me of stealing from you. And then he says... In fact, if God had not protected me, you would have sent me away now empty-handed. Now it's out. Until this point, Laban's been doing as much as he can to save face, to try and look good. But now Jacob says, no, if, if God had not protected me, you would have taken everything I have from me and you would have sent me away empty-handed if you let me live, that is. It was only by God's protection that Jacob was able to keep what he had and to, to continue on the path back to the land of his fathers. There was fierce opposition here. There were strong accusations brought against the man of God trying to fulfil the will of God in his life. But God was faithful. God protected him. Sometimes we think we've got to do all the heavy lifting, protecting our own name, our own character, protecting our possessions. You know, God may allow you to lose some of those possessions so that you learn down the track, but they're, they're, they're not yours to hang on to. He gave them to you in the first place. He may allow you to lose some of those possessions so he can get hold of your attention, so he can bring you back to reliance on himself instead of relying on those possessions. You've got some savings sitting in the bank that you're doing nothing with? Well, God may show you just uh, how hard it is to hang on to money, which takes, makes itself wings and flies away. He may do that because he doesn't want you relying on possessions. You're just faithful in fulfilling his, his will in your life. He'll provide what you need. And oftentimes the Lord provides in abundance above what we ask or think. He is able to do that. But we have to remember that we can't rely on those things. He is our sustainer and he is our protector. Jacob concluded his, his outburst with a bit more of a calmer and reasonable testimony of how God had protected him and blessed him in spite of of the unjust treatment he received from Laban. It's interesting that he uses a term here in uh, uh, verse 42. He says, uh, Except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me. He uses that phrase, the fear of Isaac, as a name, a title he, he assigns to God, essentially saying that God was the object of Isaac's fear and reverent awe. God who protected me now, he's the same God who led Abraham away from Haran years earlier. He's the same God who Isaac had served with reverential fear. This was not one of Laban's little idols. It's not. Why would I take your little idols? Can you not see that the God I serve has protected me through all of this. Why do I need your little idols, mate? 
What for? No, I serve the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. And as we'll see later, in, uh, later on in the, 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 the Bible, it's, it's interesting that that expands and he's called the God of Jacob as well. This is my God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, is now the God of Jacob as well. So Jacob had exposed Laban's intentions. No longer could he he properly keep face here. He, He can't deny how he has mistreated Jacob in the past. And so he decides the best thing he can do is deny that he had any ill intentions for the future. Okay, all right, so I mistreated you in the past, but in verse 43 it says, And Laban answered and said unto Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children, and these cattle are my cattle, and all that thou seest is mine, and what can I do this day unto these? My daughters are under their children, which they have borne. He's essentially saying, Oh, but, but Jacob, this is my family too. What makes you say I was going to harm them? Oh, look, mate. Okay, fair enough. We've had our beef in the past. Look, I get that, you know, I've, 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 I've robbed you in the past. I've been deceitful. I've, I've not treated you properly in the past. But that doesn't mean I had any ill intentions for now. <laughs> Essentially, his defence is just because I did something wrong in the past doesn't mean I was planning to do something wrong now. However, the fact that he had already admitted that God had to warn him not to harm Jacob was evidence enough of his intentions. But then he follows this up with a suggestion. He's a clever fella, a bit foolish, but he is, he, he's got his mind switched on. He goes, ah, oh, I know, why don't we make a covenant, mate? Let's make a covenant. And he begins a bit of a speech on how Jacob is the one that God needs to keep an eye on. It's really fascinating. Verse 49. Uh, Sorry, backtrack there. Verse 44. Now therefore come thou, let us make a covenant, I and thou, and let it be for a witness between me and thee. And Jacob took a stone and set it up for a pillar. And Jacob said unto his brethren, Gather stones. And they took stones and made an heap. And they did eat there upon the heap. Just a note there. It was Jacob and his brethren who set up both the pillar and the heap of stones. There are two different things there. He took, Jacob took a stone and set it up for a pillar. And his brethren gathered stones and made an heap. And Laban called it... Now that's the, that's the name that's fun... Uh, Jagar Sahedatha, but Jacob called it Galeed. And Laban said, This heap is a witness between me and thee this day. Therefore was the name of it called Galeed. And Mizpah, for he said, This is Laban, he said, The Lord watch between me and thee when we are absent one from another. If thou shalt afflict my daughters, or if thou shalt take other wives beside my daughters, no man is with us. See, God is witness betwixt me and thee. And Laban said to Jacob, Behold this heap, behold this pillar which I have cast betwixt me and thee. It was Jacob who took the initiative and set up the pillar. And set up the heap of stones and Laban, self-righteous man, he says, look, I've cast this heap between us as a witness, all right? Always trying to keep face here. This heap shall be witness and this pillar be witness that I will not pass over this heap to thee and that thou shalt not pass over this heap and this pillar unto me for harm. It's clear that Laban was trying to present it as though they needed this covenant. They needed a a covenant to be made at a pillar as a sign that, that Jacob wouldn't come after him. Who'd come after who with evil intent? Well, clearly it was Laban. He came after Jacob with evil intent. Still trying to keep face. He's still trying to present himself as the one in the right. He's been presented with all the evidence. Look, even God had to rebuke you and tell you... you, you you shall not harm my servant Jacob. 
and still he's trying to present himself as uh, somehow you know, the, the righteous one. Look, mate, you, you wronged me and that's why I came after you. Pretending as though he was the one who needed protection from Jacob. Pretending as though he was the one who erected or ordained the pillar of rocks to be a memorial, calling it Mizpah, which means watchtower. That's why he says this, uh, uh, where is it? This heap be a witness and this pillar a witness that I will not pass over this heap to thee. He set it as a watchtower, a witness. Essentially, what he's, he's saying is this watchtower for us is a symbol that God is going to keep an eye on you, Jacob, and make sure you don't come chasing me later. Laban, he's such a selfish man, so self-righteous, always trying to keep face spent all this time trying to present himself in a good light. But you know, you can never dress the foolishness of selfish living up to look as pure and holy as the faithful Christian life that God has assigned us to. A true believer, you can tell them from, from afar off. You'll see by the way they live, by the way they act, by their servant's heart, you can see who they're living for. But those who are living for self, no matter how much they try to present themselves as being you know, a loving individual or a giving individual, they, they cannot dress their selfishness up to look holy and pure like the believer. But he tries anyway. He wants to look good. He wants to walk away and go home having saved face with some shred of respect left. Oh, the foolishness of selfish living. Most of the day was spent by this point and Jacob remained another night in the mount and offered sacrifices to God for his final deliverance from the hand of Laban. Verse 54 and 55, Then Jacob offered sacrifice upon the mount and called his brethren to eat bread. And they did eat bread and tarried all night in the mount. And early in the morning Laban rose up and kissed his sons and his daughters and blessed them. And Laban departed and returned unto his place. And following morning Laban farewelled his daughters and grandchildren. He did not apologise for his behaviour although he may have felt somewhat like he should, like he needed to mend the family ties there. He did not apologise. He was not repentant. He simply said his goodbyes and returned to his own place. It's interesting, this is the last we hear of Laban in the scriptures. You do not see him come up again. What legacy did he leave? It's probably a kindness to Laban and his sons that he isn't mentioned again. He's, he's an individual who knows of God. Perhaps even had an, an encounter with God. But still chose to live his life his own way. To live for self. He was not surrendered to God. He was self-centred and his selfishness, his anger, his bitterness, his recklessness, self-serving, idolatry and foolish vengeance, his deceit and robbery, all these things, they are the legacy of Laban. That's what we remember Laban for. Nobody, nobody thinks of Laban and thinks, oh, he was that nice fella. That, that caught up with Jacob out at Haran. Nobody. The legacy of this man is that he was bitter, a robber. He was deceitful in his dealings with people. He was selfish. His selfishness led to anger when he didn't get his own way. His idolatry 
was passed on to his children and became a stumbling block to them. And his foolish vengeance led him to pursue his own brethren with evil intent to harm them with such intent that God had to step in and rebuke him personally. Laban's testimony is that of a man whose love of money took him far away from God and turned him into a reckless, self-serving and bitter man. That's his legacy. Oh, the foolishness of living for self. I wonder, are you willing to go wherever God would have you to go in spite of opposition, regardless of who stands in your way? Are you willing to go in faith, to step out? Oh, it's a hard journey. Oh, but it's a blessed journey. but, But my family... They're not really with me on this. God didn't call you to get your family with you on that. Okay. It might be time to start spending a lot more hours in prayer that they will get on board with you. You can't be <laughs> you can't be a family sitting back and watching, you know, oh there goes dad. Yeah, he's 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 doing the will of the Lord. Go on, your dad. We'll sit back here and stick by the stuff and all that. What? Yeah, no, get on board, be willing to go with him, serve regardless of the opposition. Or are you living for self? In the pursuit of worldly things rather than living for God. We've seen how that ended for Laban. Is that going to be your legacy? When people remember who you were, they remember you as someone who is sold out for God, who would go anywhere for God, who would do anything for their loving Saviour, or do they remember someone who would do anything for the coin, who would do anything to make himself more comfortable and pursue his worldly ambitions? Where's your heart at? Are you sold out for God? Are you surrendered? Or are you living for self? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the passage we had before us this evening, Father, and for the lessons we've been able to glean uh, from this text. Father, we pray that you'd help us as your people to uh, truly be surrendered to your will for our lives. Father, we pray that you'd help us not to be uh, foolish in pursuing Uh, selfishness and uh, just pursuing the worldly success father but that we might just pursue christ and what his will is for our lives father we pray that uh, we as your people uh, would honor and glorify you through our lives we pray that we might leave a godly legacy for our children to follow we ask it in jesus name amen